Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years, you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor podcast brought to you by The Herald. What we know about trauma is that it's something that is unearthed after the event, moving beyond the the COVID landscape into a different kind of world. This is when I expect to see pupils unravel. I think we also have to be quite aware of additional anxieties that we can bring about by using phrases like, you know, children are falling behind on coursework or we need them to catch up. Catch up with what? Catch up with metrics that we have set. There is no doubt in my mind, both as a doctor and as a parent of four children, that in these days, school and education is the best place for them to be. Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor, and a very warm welcome to my latest Herald podcast, a special programme this week. Scotland schools return soon, and all this week we've been learning about preparations. On this podcast, I hope to bring you up to date with the latest information about coping with COVID. We'll talk to the experts on issues like education, exams, mental health. But first, let's hear the most important voices of all, Scotland's school pupils. Here's some of the pressure they've experienced. Definitely been weird. I mean, like, because you've not got the support, I guess, of, like, your peers. You've not got your teachers, like, right next to you to help. You have to email them and then wait for them to email you back, which could take hours. And by then, you've probably finished, like, school. Most of the time, I get my work done, but sometimes I've got questions and I and my teacher can't answer them in time. I think most of the time it was okay, but for some teachers, they're not on until like 11 at night. Um, I remember being um, sitting in my physics class when John Swinney's broadcast was put out from the Scottish Parliament explaining exams to be cancelled, and some people jumped for joy and some people burst into tears because they're either the prelim grades were good or they'd failed their prelims. There was the idea that your prelims are just your dry run. They're there to let you experience it. The grades don't necessarily matter, but suddenly they did matter. And it was just like being dropped into the ocean because with schools not yet going back, there was very little support available in those, those really traumatic first few hours. For me, I had every single one of my grades downgraded, from some from just an A to a B, one from an A to an F. You were in this constant like loneliness. You felt like that no one was there for you because you knew that they were struggling with like their own mental health. So you didn't really want to talk to anyone about it. To make them feel like, oh, what everyone else is going through, so you're nothing special about it. Definitely struggled, especially with maths. Like I would just be talking all the time because I'm trying to make up for like loss of contact. And then my teacher pulled me outside once and said, Are you struggling in other classes as well? And then I almost started crying because I was like, yeah I actually am but I don't know how to say it and then of course I tried to go to pastoral care and my head of year no one was there they're all teaching classes because teachers were self-isolating and here's their message for those in charge of education in charge of their future special needs schools have their own doctors and nurses um and I really hope in the future um main street schools will have their own doctors and nurses or nurses the, the one message is listen, but also act as well. Don't make promises that you can't or won't deliver. I would honestly say to them, um, well, if, if you're about to put the, um, all of us on lockdown, you should maybe like think how everything's going to work out because there are some people who haven't got technology in their own houses and it's difficult for them to learn. 
powerful stuff, I'm sure you'll agree and very sincerely meant by those good people. We'll talk about all of that in a moment with my panel. First, I'll ask John Paul Holden, the Herald's education correspondent. Uh, JP, bring us up to you with plans for the new term. First of all, when do the schools go back? Schools go back um, in different local authority areas on different dates. Um, some are, will start to go back as early as next week, others okay. the week after, and it's, it's on different dates. So um, I would encourage people watching this maybe to consult their, the council's uh, website for those dates. Um, yeah. And with that, of course, the First Minister on Tuesday provided a major update on arrangements for the new term. Um, yeah. It's a mix of change in continuity. Key COVID mitigation measures will remain in place. Uh, for example, mask wearing by staff uh, and by pupils aged 12 and over. And you will continue to have one metre physical distancing um, between staff and between staff and, and children. And that will be in place for six weeks and then subject to review. However, there will also be change uh, going forward. Crucially, those identified as a close contact of individuals who have tested positive for COVID will not have to continue self-isolating as long as they get a, a negative PCR test result. So that will hopefully significantly reduce COVID-related school absence rates and make for a more stable relationship between pupils and school. Uh, and another major development, of course, on vaccines, the Joint Committee for Vaccination and Immunisation has updated its um, advice. The Pfizer jab can now be offered to 16 and 17-year-olds and they'll be able to register online for an appointment uh, from tomorrow, except, I believe, in uh, Shetland, Orkney and Western Isles, where young people will be contacted by the local health board as they attend clinics. JP, hold on to those thoughts for, for a moment. Let, yep. Let's bring in, some, bring in the panel. Thank you very, no, thank very, very much indeed for that. Joined today by Professor Stephen Turner. He's a consultant paediatrician from Royal Aberdeen Children's Hospital. He's speaking here for the College of Paediatrics. Thanks for joining us. Elaine Kerridge, Policy Manager at Children's in Scotland, Deborah Gallagher, who's a guidance teacher at Kelvinside Academy, and Carol, Carol Monaghan, she's an SNP MP, more importantly, she's education spokesperson at Westminster, more importantly still, she's a former physics teacher and head of science, thanks to all. Um, we'll talk about the education aspect, let's talk about the health aspect, maybe go to Steve Turner first of all, and then the others can pile in. Are we, are we ready, Steve? I mean, with this, this hideous plague has beset us for uh, you know, a year and a half or more. Are we ready? Are the schools ready to go back safely? Well, I'll, I'll leave that for the for, for the educational uh, people to say. Uh, just that, that the headline figures from the health perspective is that yeah, the contrast terms, yeah. uh, between how this virus affects the youngest and the oldest members of our society could not yep. be greater. So everybody is aware that in elderly people, this is a very life-threatening, very serious illness. But for reasons we still don't know, but for which we're delighted, this is an illness which if children get, the vast, vast, vast majority of them either don't know they've got it or they have very, very minimal symptoms. So what we know from the last 16, 17 months is that individuals aged under 16 who get coronavirus very, very, very rarely run into any problems from the health perspective. But... What we know is that the indirect impact of this infernal virus on our young children is profound. It affects their education, as we've heard. It affects their socialising, as we've heard. And it also affects their ability to access the health system that they might already be needing for conditions such as asthma, diabetes and seizures. Yeah, let's bring in that. Thanks for that. Let's bring in others. Elaine, we heard from the, the, the school students, the school pupils earlier. It was all about 
something missing, something falling short. You know, they're trying to get support and it's just not there. They weren't particularly blaming people, but the message was constant throughout. They're just falling short in terms of the support and advice. God, they must be terrified. They must be really anxious. Yeah, so we, we've worked with lots of children and people over the last year and we've heard the impact it's had on all of them, you know, wherever they live and whatever age they are. And obviously education has been a, a huge area for them and the worry of how things have changed over the year. Being at home, you know, home yeah. learning had its own challenges. Being in school has its own challenges. And all of that, of course, has impacted on their, on their mental health and, and their relationships and who they can see and, and who they haven't been able to see over the last year. Do you expect there to be, is it likely to be a lasting impact or is it something, you know, we always say mm-hmm. kids are resilient. Is it something that, that they can get by or has it been so severe that it could be a lasting uh, issue? Well, we have great faith in, in teachers. We know that they are so hard working and it's been so challenging for them. And so we know that they will work so hard with okay. the children and the young people when, when schools return. But absolutely, uh, young people have felt isolated. Um, mm. And that's been rural and urban. It doesn't matter where you live, they felt isolated. No, um, and they've learned a lot online. But of course, you couldn't have social contact online. They really miss that. So Okay. You know, we don't know the long term effects, but we do suspect that there will be a lot of uh, of effects on those young people. But, be... you know, education hopefully will pick up very soon. Well, you mentioned their praise for the teachers as bring in a teacher, bring in, bring in a teacher and a former teacher. Indeed, first of all, Deborah Gallagher, you're, you're a guidance teacher, I, I believe. We, we heard there that the pupils are saying that all the efforts are being made. But, you know, some of the teachers are doing these takes for, for, for other other classes, filling in for others who are, who are isolating over there. Deborah, that, that must place real pressure upon the school staff. Absolutely. The pressure this year has been almost untenable at times, Brian. Um, and what we've been dealing with is a body of people who are utterly committed to children who volunteered during lockdowns to come in and staff yeah. lessons for key worker children and vulnerable pupils. And what we saw was pupils becoming vulnerable, not just to the mental health issues we flagged up earlier, but also digital vulnerability, which widens the attainment gap. Explain that um, to me. I don't mean. I don't know what that means. So that means that while learning was delivered on online platforms, that requires that pupils have the hardware, either with laptops, phones, or okay. PCs at home. Also, that they have access to regular and stable Wi-Fi, and both of those things are clearly um, driven by the parents' ability to furnish them with these luxuries in some cases, and therefore mm. that has a large impact on teaching and learning. Callum, presumably, I mean, we've had a a really challenging year gone by. Nobody anticipated this this dreadful plague, of course. Nobody anticipated the extent to which it would would impact upon us. Can it be better? You know, is it possible it can be better in the year ahead, Callum Monaghan? Um, I would really hope so. I mean, it's it's we're talking a lot just now about schools, but we've got to remember as well that for many young people, it was also all their social outlets that were closed off to them as well. Their clubs, their after school activities, sporting activities that they would do. So this has been really tough for youngsters. They have been resilient. I've been so impressed by how youngsters have coped over this year. But I think it's not just about getting schools back to some sort of normality, but it's everything else that young people have in their lives. These these social outlets in some ways and are for many youngsters are more important than school because it's a totally different kind of way of um kind of uh, operating. It's not yeah. as regimented as school. So hopefully that we can see less disruption in the year ahead. 
there, there are some complaints, Carol, that, that you know, by by continuing with, with mask wearing or, or face covering wearing for the first six weeks, continuing with um, some form of distancing in schools, that schools are facing tougher constraints than the, the rest of society. But do you think that's justified? Carol, Carol and then Elaine and then Deborah, perhaps. Um, I think it's, it's something, I think whatever happens, there's going to be criticism. If the government were yeah. to say, but you're not wearing uh, face masks, some would be critical, um, including many teachers who might feel that they've been put in a vulnerable uh, or a position um, of vulnerability. Yeah. Most teachers have been vaccinated, but I think there are, there are sort of real big questions there. So I think a cautious approach in face masks really is if that can allow us to, to get back to normal or semi-normal situation in school, I think that that's something that we should be doing at the moment. Let's bring in Steve Turner before I come to the, to, to the other members of the panel. Steve, of course, you, you, you described for us rightly and, and, and very helpfully the, the health uh, hazards, the, the relatively low health hazard for children. But of course, they could be passing it on to their teachers and other staff in, in school, couldn't they? Yeah, and, and, and we know that that has happened. Uh, but again, for reasons we've never really understood, the younger the child, the more they really have to try to spread the infection. So we know that the majority of the challenge. Oh, listen, it's, we've all been there. We've all been on the receiving end. But, but what we know is that the majority of infections within school have taken place between adults within the school premises uh-huh. uh, rather than between children themselves or okay. the children and the adults. So perhaps a staff room um, phenomenon rather than a classroom phenomenon. I think that has been seen, and also in places like hospitals, that in staff yeah. uh, coffee rooms, yeah. for example. Steve, just briefly before I bring in the others, are the, the health preventative measures that are continuing in schools, but not necessarily in the rest of society, to, to, or perhaps to, to a greater extent in schools, you know, the, the, the face masks, the, the distancing, is that justified in, in health terms, in medical terms, would you say? I, th- I think this is where health terms and societal terms get a bit blurred. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say that you're going to reduce the transmission of any virus, any infection by using social distancing and hand hygiene measures. Uh, so if the aim is to reduce the spread of this virus in the school estates, then the measures that have been in place historically seem reasonable to carry them on. But as we get further into this pandemic, there are some mixed messaging that we're giving. So you're all right to go out clubbing without your mask. Yeah. But you have to wear a mask if you happen to be of an age where you go clubbing and go to school. They're, they're, it's going to get more complicated. I, I'm still sure you're still a club regular, Steve. You know, <laughs> where where well, is it in Aberdeen these days? When I was in Aberdeen, it was the crazy daisy. That's probably long clothes. No, uh, Elaine and then Deborah. Elaine, what, what about this? I mean, are, are these justified, these, these measures that are continuing in schools? There are some jibbing about I mean, The children young people we've heard from this year... Um, understood that these measures had to be in place. They they didn't enjoy being in bubbles. They found that difficult, um, especially okay. if they were away from their friends. Um, they didn't enjoy one-way systems because uh, teachers didn't follow them, and uh, other young people who were late to class were running. You know, it just wasn't. You, Deborah. She means you. Sorry, Elaine. Actually, yeah, they, they they said to us that they they understand and they will be pleased to keep the hand washing, the hand sanitizer, the cleaning right. of the desks, the masks is a bit of a split because lots of young people struggle, especially those with additional support needs, 
to, to communicate with their teachers with, with the masks on. So okay. whilst they understand in some spaces those might be necessary for those pupils with additional support needs, especially that's been quite challenging for them. Uh, Deborah, what's your, what's your take on I mean, this? Are these I, measures necessary, justified, whatever proportionate? I think to pick up on what Elaine was saying, like all things in education, masks, there must be an individualised approach and it's based on your knowledge about the pupil, what they're capable of. And we've worked hard this year with individual pupils to communicate key messages to staff about how to support them with mask wearing and the other mitigations we've had in place. So I have spent this morning digesting the 68-page document released yesterday Wow. So the good news is that the, the one-way systems, while they stay in place, that other things go, the bubbles go that you talked about, Elaine. And we know that's been very challenging. Bubbles is what when, when kids stay, stay together in one group. Is that right? That's why, right. Why, why, that's don't, why don't they like those, Deborah? What, what's wrong with that? Because pupils, like all other people in society, they, they self-select their peer groups. They feel oh, more see. comfortable with some people than others. So to be put... With people in, yeah. as an efficiency in schools to facilitate the delivery of a curricula, okay. what we're doing is we are setting up bubbles that allow people to, to follow all their subjects, and, and that's how bubbles are created. It's based mm. on those. You could see elites and cle- you know, yes, you know, elites forming instantly. You can't, we can't have that. JP, that's you right. look keen to come in. Uh, uh, um, perhaps for, uh, whatever point you want to make, but also I'm keen to hear more about the vaccination. I mean, can it, could it extend to 12 to 17, and then we'll ask Steve about the, you know, the medical implications of that as well. On the vaccinations, yes, it's possible uh, that the um, Pfizer shot could be offered to 12 to 15-year-olds. I think the, the experts in the JCVI are waiting for additional data to come through on that. Yeah. But um, the music certainly is that that, that is a, a distinct possibility. And just on a question really about, I suppose, you know, education recovery and, and we hear a lot from the Scottish Government about um, what they're investing to um, to provide additional staffing resource. And I'm just, I just wonder what the panel members feel about that. What, you know, it, it, will that be sufficient? Will it, you know, ensure that education recovery really is, is, is driven forward? Well, you were saying, it articulates with a point that Johan made that everything seemed to be announced before thought was given to it. And when you mentioned the additional investment in education, I think more than just throwing money at the problem, which I know is a criticism that's been levelled at the government, what we need is strategy and guidance. Because simply putting staff into unfamiliar environments and, and asking them to address a problem, we need to give due thought and consideration to the things that have to be addressed. So that, that was my concern. Johan talked about when he went to look for staff to help him, they were covering classes because there were um, teachers self-isolating. And I know the change in self-isolation protocols will address rates of absenteeism, but whether that leads to a better educational experience, and I mean the whole school experience, and not just that in classrooms focused on learning and teaching, has yet to be seen, I think. And I was quite struck by one of the pupils who talked about having... Um, you know, nurses and doctors in, in, in school and I suppose it's just a real plea there um, for there to, to be um, you know really significantly increased um, staffing and support um, and people against... Deborah, hang, hang, hang on a second I want to bring in a point for, for Steve Turner from, from I think it was Brian Hutchison had a, had a question to us what, what is the what is, good point again on vaccinations is what if we don't feel safe sending our kids to school I would rather they were vaccinated First, is it, is it all, I understand why, because we were waiting for the JCVI, not apportioning blame here, but Steve, is it all coming a little bit late with, you know, Scottish schools going back next week or the week after? 
no, no. Uh, so if I can directly a, a address Brian's, uh, yeah. this is Brian Hutchinson's comment. I, I think schools are absolutely safe for children. There is no doubt in my mind, both as a doctor and as a parent of four children, that in these days, school and education is the best place for them to be. Okay. When we're talking about the, the pros and cons of vaccination and COVID in children, for the individual child themselves, and if we put just the child at the heart of it all, the risks of them coming to harm from COVID are easy, easy, tiny little dog polka dot bikini. They're tiny. And the risks from the vaccine are almost as tiny. So what we're trying to do as parents and, and, and medical decision makers is to compare two almost invisible sides of the argument. So, okay. so uh, that, that's why there's been a lot of hesitancy about the vaccine, because for the child themselves, it, it, it really the, 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 the risk balance is actually almost neutral. But the, 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 the discussion was a little bit wider than just the child. Uh, yes, it's about you know what, what, what about vulnerable parents in the house? What about granny? Uh, uh, what about teachers in the school? Yeah. Um, but but just just to roll this back, Brian, you're absolutely safe sending your children to school. You reduce the chance of your children and yourself from getting COVID, not just from having a vaccine, but from all of the other stuff, the social distancing and and all of the hygiene. But if I could just quickly talk about yes, uh, please, the, it, it's been a long time coming, and we've not got to the end yet. I think that. Uh, the current plan to vaccinate uh, the, what are called the rising 18s. Uh, these are people aged between 16 and 17 and three quarters. Seems very sensible because socially and um, physiologically, they're identical to their older siblings who are aged 18 and 19. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, Ka uh, Ka Ka Carol, what, what about the points we, we were hearing there about from point from De Deborah was making that you know initiatives can be all very well in themselves, but perhaps they are implemented without. You know, thought as to as to how they're they're worked through is that just a you know a factor of the fact that this is a, a, a dreadful and hideous virus that's inflicting us all? I think I think one thing is that we're, a lot of decisions have been taken with the very best of intentions, and are been taken with the best um, evidence that's there at the time. And uh -huh. as we as we get to know more about the virus and we see how things are developing, um, hindsight comes into things, and we get the. The what about it, and I think it's yes. it's I, I think it's important to remember that it's this is something we're dealing. It's a novel virus. It's something we haven't experienced before, and we're still learning so much about it. Yes. So I think yes. I think that's that's got to um, be considered. One thing I would say is, um, and I think Deborah makes a really good point about you know throwing money at things. I've got to remember, in Scotland, teaching is still a profession, so it takes at least four years to t train a teacher. In some cases, yes. five years. Yes. It's not we can't magic teachers out of the ether. So it's not as though we can just draft people in, shove them in front of classes, and expect them to know what to do. Which is uh -huh. why the difficulties that we've experienced over the last eighteen months have been have been so acute. Let's move. Let's move to, to education, Elaine. Let's come to you. Let's move to education more generally. Last year was dreadful. We heard from those those school pupils about the pressures they were under. We had, we knew, the, the, we know the problems of of exams. Is that going to be better in the year ahead, Elaine? Is that will will, will pupils be able to return to exams, or should they? Should we perhaps be considering uh, different elements? I see De Deborah smiling there. I'm going to come to her very shortly on that. Elaine, what's your take on that? So, so that's what we've heard from young people, absolutely. Um, their feelings, I think, really changed over the year. Um, they felt, as, as Marcus shared, um, it was very upsetting. 
um, last year when, you know, it was last minute about what was going to happen, no exams. And then, of course, it changed over the year in the last academic year as well. And uh, young people have told us they feel that they really weren't communicated uh, with. You know, they didn't feel that they were in the know what was happening. It was all felt very last minute. Ch things changed uh, and they would just have liked to have been included and consulted in those decisions. And, and that's what they though, want. You've got, you've got to make a decision. You know, know. You're responding to a, a, you know, a killer disease. Yeah. You've got to make a decision okay, reasonably swiftly. Yeah. You've got to consult stakeholders. It's maybe not possible to consult yeah. every school people in school. But, the, in but school. there are there are groups and the Education Recovery Youth Panel were involved yeah. in that as well, but not so much in the exams. So we know that um, SQA has been disbanded and, and that's going to be looked at over the coming couple of years. Yeah. And I know there's a commitment to engaging with children, young people in that. So we know that things will change and, and young people have very clear opinions on what that could be. And some of them like exams, some of them don't. Some of them like that continuous assessment. But uh -huh. what they do want is it for them, for it to fit them, not for them to fit into that system. So whatever the new system looks like, it's got to be, um, a child-friendly approach has got to be a child rights approach. Okay, Deborah, you, you've written an article in which you, you say there's a golden opportunity to reshape the education system. Explain briefly, if you would, what you mean by that. Yes, I, I think that many things have arisen from this crisis. It is novel, as Carol said, but perhaps it's a chance to, to step back and evaluate where we are. I think the assessment model we worked within just now with a, a dash to the final line and uh, a one-size-fits-all exam system is not fit for purpose. That was clear when the system could not be run by the SQA and the onus for the delivery and assessment of courses was put, to my mind, very unfairly upon the teachers. Uh -huh. It was done at the last minute as well. And I remember, I think it was Marcus who was talking about the announcement. I think yeah. it happened in you the schools, in class, in schools yeah. everywhere. Absolutely. Because yeah. teachers are watching to find out. But, but would would you would you get rid of you know would you scrap hires for example? Would you scrap them altogether? Not necessarily. No, I think to throw well, the baby what, what out. Are you, what are you talking about then? If you're talking about a different form of of assessment, I think what we should look at is a more individualised approach. I think there was a good start made with a curriculum for excellence, and the SCQF allows for uh -huh. different levels of qualification at different times. But I would like to see a more vocational approach in Scotland, where some pupils or some professions or yes. aspirations beyond school do take on exams but there are other ways to qualify and show your level of attainment that are not simply exam based okay uh, let, let's let's try that with others carol carol what, what do you make of that as as obviously a, a, a serving politician but a former very senior teacher what do you what do you make of that yeah i mean it's it's really i mean i suppose it's quite popular to say um we need to get rid of exams, continual assessments, a better idea. But we've got to remember that these actually test different things. I mean, exams are about response on the day and looking at sometimes knowledge recall, sometimes the ability to problem solve. Coursework yes. is a different it's a different thing entirely. Coursework gives the opportunity to go away, consider a thing, to develop research, to bring together ideas, to discuss. It's a whole different thing. And the problem I have always had with coursework, and at the moment, by the way, COVID aside, the exams in Scotland are a mixture of both. There's a coursework yes. element and there is the, the final exam. And, that all and will that continue? The certification. Will, 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 forgive me, will, will that continue or will we revert to primarily being dependent on hires and advanced hire and, and all that well, sort of thing. Even a higher or advanced hire will include a okay, coursework a element, element and okay. an exam right. element. Yeah. And I would see that continuing. The, my experience has been 
that coursework in its entirety, I know that's a very popular thing to talk about in terms of yeah. certification, but coursework in its entirety, in my experience, has favoured the more privileged who have parental support, who have um, yeah. maybe better access to resources, stuff like that. So we have to who be have to, quite who careful. Who have to be blunt parents and, 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 and grandparents and uncles and et cetera who might write the blasted thing. Well, well, you know, if, if one of mine were to come home with an essay about politics, would I cast my, my eye over it before it went in back to school, you, you know, you I might do that. So, so we've Take got out to that consider bit about how the SNP are rotten. No, we're not. We're not doing that. But, you know, well, you've got to, you've got to consider the the support and what goes on behind yeah. the scenes. So, I, I think exams I exams were actually developed to level the playing field, and it's important that we don't okay. lose that aspect. Let's go back to Deborah on that one. Deborah, what do you make of that? No, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of value in what Carol's saying. It absolutely is, but exams in and of themselves, are not a suitable assessment method for every child. We have one style yeah. of exam, we have one approach, and no matter what you do to mitigate things, what um, factors are put in place to support pupils with additional support needs or other um, conditions that must be considered, it doesn't necessarily mean that that sets up an environment where that pupil can evidence and showcase their learning. I think okay. we have to look to other models of education. We could look at VIVAs, we could look at practical coursework elements, okay. which would take the pressure off. I, I take your point completely, Carol. Um, Tutor-led approaches and, and, and the privilege involved in being able to, to support coursework intensively at home. Let's, let, let's bring, in, bring in Steve and then and JP. Steve, from a, from you, you know, not obviously not a medical perspective, but you know, a perspective as, as, as an adult member of society in Scotland. What, what, about, what about the university perspective? Would, would they still want to see, I don't know, five hires rather than, than coursework? Yeah. Yeah, so, so until very recently, I, I worked for a university and uh, I've got two children at university, one oh. just about to go and one who's just done the National Five. So I've had chapter and verse from lots of people about how this infernal pandemic has impacted education yeah. in the sort of 16 to, to 26-year-old age. So um, my, my sense is a more basic question. What's the point of school and, 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 and further education. And I have come to the conclusion that in a nutshell, it's about preparing young people for life. Okay. It's about preparing people to work, to take turns, to find out that sometimes you work hard and you don't get what you get. And every now and then you don't work that hard, but, you, but things seem to go well. So, so <laughs> I, 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 I think that in terms of the best way to assess an individual, the more facets, the more windows you have on that person, the best. You know, how would you measure the best uh, reporter in Scotland, for example? It would be unfair just to interview you all. Uh, so you would take a number of different perspectives. So uh, having gone through a system where I was examined totally and solely on exams, I'm not sure that's the right way of doing it. So I think a hybrid uh, system is, is, is very much the way forward. That would be the modern way of doing it. I, I did a degree in English, but I did, then did a course in journalism as, you know, when I was employed by, by a newspaper. And my tutor there said the thing you needed for journalism was rat-like cunning. I'm, I'm not, not quite sure how you would measure. I, I think I've probably got an A-star in rat-like cunning, but, but not that the A-star exists in, in, in Scotland, of course, although I gather parents readily demand it from their kids. J J JP, what, what's, the, what's your thinking on this, you know, an opportunity for, to, to, to reshape the education system, or are, are ministers going to be be sort of con concerned not, not to shake the boat about too much? Yeah, I think it's a definitely an opportunity to, to redirect the uh, 
the assessment system in Scotland, and there's a growing uh, clamour for that. But moving away from the um, the COVID topic for a second, the discussion, you know, reminded me, of course, that the, uh, the OECD um, published a major report on, on curriculum for excellence recently, and that was high, really highly critical of the assessment um, uh, culture um, in Scotland, particularly within the senior phase. And it spoke about people's complaining that there was too much memorisation, too much rote learning, um, not enough creativity. Um, yes, there is a, I mean, there is a continuous assessment element within the system currently, but it's clearly yeah. not enough. And it, so that the senior phase is not sufficiently um, aligned with the, you know, the ideals of the curriculum for excellence in terms of, you know, developing those individual capacities. That I think sort of Steve was maybe touching on there. And you know, given the the, the, the you know the apparent decisiveness which Education Secretary Shirley Ann Somerville accepted the recommendations yeah. of the OECD report, and reminding remembering of course that there is a, a working report on assessment due to come later this year, I think we could be looking at um, yeah towards towards working a portfolio based teacher based continuous assessment based um, approach. But I do agree that that you know the exam system does have merits. It does it does have it yeah. does label. Um, playing field and and there is you know there is value in in i guess putting, putting a few people uh, on the screen really, thanks jb come, come to elaine briefly on this i'm gonna i'm gonna move on to to health related issues in a second but elaine i mean to be to be satirical and cynical about this for a second you, you do have to have some memory related education you don't learn quantum mechanics and german grammar through the medium of dance you, you you've you've got to sit down and learn the, learn the damn things, don't you, Elaine? Well, yes, I just feel it's the wrong way around, that you're asking, what are the universities looking for from, okay. from our young people? But okay. let's, let's tell the universities what they should be looking for from our young people, from our young people, you know, they'll it's tell the wrong you, they'll way around. They'll, they'll tell you, they'll tell you, 5A. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, we just about, about dancing, but when children and young people enjoy what they're doing, they learn, they grow as people, and that's, that's who you want to go to university, that's who you want in your workplace, is a rounded, successful, person and success comes in lots of different ways so I, I do feel the exam system it's it, it's it does feel outdated for our young people and I just feel it's the wrong way around let's move let's move from that we've got about 10 minutes left I want to devote that entirely to the issue of mental health issues arising from the from the pandemic arising from the stresses and strains we had of those stresses and strains in very very vivid terms from the pupils at the start of this podcast oh it, it, Carol, Carol, you, you, you go first. It really has been a, a, a big issue, hasn't it? Oh, it's, it's a serious issue. And it's actually, it's been a serious issue even before the pandemic. And I think one okay. of the things, if we if we consider positives to come from the pandemic, there are very few. But one of them is that there is a renewed focus on mental health and where we are taking it far more seriously. We're listening to young people and we're actually, you know, putting in place um, different uh, things that the, the young young people can access. We've got a long way to go. And, and I think it's, I, I, I don't know that there's any young person that hasn't been impacted in some way. For some of them, it's been devastating. For well, others, it might be less. But I, I, I think, I think every young person has been affected by this. It would be tough not to be. Deborah, you, you must encounter the, these sort of pressures and stresses in your, the, your pupils and students on a daily basis? Absolutely. I mean, we, we have seen massive numbers um, of pupils suffering in one way or other. And you talked about, Brian, it being a generational issue. I worry not so much about what we've dealt with, but what lies ahead. Because what we know about trauma is that it's something that is unearthed after the event. So if, really? in fact, we're moving beyond 
the, the COVID landscape into a different kind of world. This is when I expect to see pupils unravel. We have had young people and adults as well living for the past 18 months in a state of some panic, expecting the unexpected all the really? time. And we know that we are not built as humans to deal with that level of stress that it affects us. It develops hypervigilance and generalised anxiety and all kinds of other so, things. So, so people, individuals' confidence may have been just undermined and that could be a lasting problem. Absolutely. Yeah. We talked a lot about education, but what we know with certainty is that you cannot educate someone who is, is mentally unable to, to understand. Because of, because of trauma. Absolutely. Yeah, Elaine, I saw you nodding very, very vigorously in agreement with that. Yeah, so... You know, the young people we're speaking to are very clear about having felt isolated this year, um, being anxious, very anxious about exams and things. But absolutely agree with Deborah that we don't know that long term effect um, physically and mentally in young people. And um, we, we know that will come out as, as the years go on. So we need to be supporting them now. They need um, support from all different aspects in their lives to make sure that we, we reduce those those negative outcomes. Steve, um, what's your, your take on this? Well, just to, to back up what's been said. So before the pandemic, we knew that about 15 percent of young people in Scotland across the UK had a mental health disorder. And this was predominantly anxiety and depression. Okay. So it's not a surprise that a global pandemic has fueled those pre-existing levels of anxiety and depression. The problem that we face as a society, and this is seen in school and in hospital and at the table at tea time at home is that we don't have a, a system in our society for supporting children and young people and also their parents uh -huh. who are having problems with anxiety and depression historically our grandparents have just told us to buck up and just knuckle on down uh, and so so we have this situation where we have uh, teachers who are educated we have doctors who are educated but neither of them are trained to help young people understand their anxiety and depression and manage it. So we've got lots of people who can recognise the problem. We've got lots of people with the problem. But what we do not yet have is a means of releasing that problem. And it would seem that unless something is done fairly soon, that problem is not going to get smaller. And as we've been saying, might well get bigger. If, if we were at 15% before, is it possible to estimate what level we are at now or could be in the year ahead? Well, inevitably, research has stopped. Um, yeah, so, 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 so uh, uh, no, uh, there, there was a little bit of research that I did see that was done because you can actually do a little bit of this work re remotely. And, and essentially, if you were a child during pandemic days whose parent had anxieties, yes, your chance of being anxious was, was even higher than if your parent didn't. So... So what we what little information we have so far is that there's a bit of an interaction within the households and we've all been locked in together. Yes. But if you've got parents who are struggling to cope, who don't have the resilience that yes. many of us do have, their children don't have it. And that fuels it. So, so it, it, it's it's might, might, it go away. Might, might it go away when the virus goes away or is it likely to be a, a, a trauma as you're all shaking your head at that? Yeah. 
It's in. Let's um, let's talk Brian, about. Brian, oh, please, please, Carol. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, please, I just want to. I just yeah, want to add in very quickly. I think. Please, I no, think we on. also, as as parents or as politicians or as medics or whatever our role is, um, I think we also have to be quite aware of additional anxieties that we can bring about by, by using phrases like you know, children are falling behind on coursework, or we need them to catch up. Catch up with what? <laughs> catch up with metrics that we have set. So we need to be careful about the language we use and the drive that we have for these young people so you're, if you're setting you're setting targets that are unrealistic unfair and and, and unattainable and you're absolutely you're, you're, absolutely you're, you're, you're let's these children to yeah, yeah. Okay, let's cut a, them some slack what have we got left we've got a few a few minutes left Let, let's talk about where you want to see things going in in the the, the year ahead Let, let's confine it to, to that year, year or, or, or beyond whatever you fancy deborah gallagher where, where, where are we heading what do we need to do collectively as a society in Scotland to improve matters for our schools and for our school students? I want us to continue to, to build on a platform of positive mental health and put pupils' needs first. Um, I completely endorse what Carol said. This was not a lost year. It was a different year experienced globally. And we have to look at it through Very a different vector than the one we talked about. Um, uh -huh. Different things were learned. And the metrics for success are important as well. The, the stress caused for pupils who were looking for certification was considerable. But school, I talk about school rather than education purely because school is so much more. And that's what we learned last yes. year. It's about the social patterns. I don't think teachers should be people who impart knowledge to fill an empty vessel. Yeah. Instead, I see as much more as being Sherpas, introducing young people to different experiences and subjects, to themselves, to others, and helping them just move along that journey. I think we have to have a much more holistic you have education and young people. Do we need, maybe we should have put this to you earlier, Steve's idea of, of we, we, need a, we need to cope with the, the mental health problems in schools in a, and, and associated with education in a different way. Do we need a, a new area of expertise or, or, or what? Or, or do we deploy the existing teachers in a different fashion? What, what do you reckon? Just briefly on that, if you would. You're, the teachers that we have are excellent, world-leading. I'm, so I'm, like I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I know you're not being critical, so let's upskill no. them. We have such an excellent resource here yeah. who have the volition to, to serve the young people of Scotland. Yeah. I would like to see an increased focus on something that has a pretty bad reputation just now, personal social education, okay. and have it dealing with the real things that would upskill people for the challenges okay. that life throws at them, anticipated okay, and otherwise. Thank you. Let's move around the panel. We, we don't have a lot of time. J JP, the, the, the year ahead, what, what, do you, what do you think is likely to happen? What do we need to happen? I, mean, I would just echo what's been said in mental health. I mean, it just reminds yeah. me of a conversation I had with the GP who, uh, whose colleagues observe, observed um, a real um, increase in, pu in people's coming, young people coming to her with, with complaints about mental health, including you know, suicidal ideation and then up to exams. Uh, so I just think there, there needs to be a real sort of a real radically changed approach to mental health and I would really, in, in schools, and I would really hope to see um, a lot of work in that area. Steve Turner. I'll keep it short and brief. Let's get it right for every child. Oh, wow. That's that's the style. Well, well, you, your lectures must have been a joy to attend, Steve, <laughs> when you, you were at the, at the university. Uh, Elaine Kerridge and then finally Karen. Uh, uh, Elaine, what, 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 what are we looking for in, in the year ahead? What do you think maybe school pupils are looking for in the year ahead? So, so how we get it right for every child is to listen to every child. Uh, and they want to be in school. They want that relationship with the staff. They, they like being supported by staff. But they want to have their voices heard in all these things that are going to change over the coming years. But what mental health supports they need, how exams yes. will change. So they need to have their voices heard and respect. 
what, what it done with them rather than to them. That I was re- exactly. really struck by those comments. Really stuck. Steve got a big thumbs up from Steve for that one. Callum Monaghan, I'll give, give you the, the, the last word. What, what do we expect or, or need or hope to hear and hope to see happening in, rather in, in the year well, ahead? Well, I think one of one of the great things that has happened is the development of online resources and the quality of resources that are now available. So I think there'll be far more use of these for children that can't attend school for whatever reason, COVID or otherwise. But, but I think we also need to see an increased importance and focus on out-of-school experiences, be that sporting or other um, these are so important for youngsters out with, out with the formality of school. And I'd like to see far more youngsters participating in such clubs and activities. It's true. It's what you remember from school, isn't it? Rather than, you know, did I say it higher physics? It's, it's, it's what you remember. Is, is, is the, You're the wrong the, teacher the for higher physics, Brian. That no, was I, had, I had a wonderful teacher, a wonderful teacher for, for higher physics. I was, I, was, I was very keen on physics, so, but I, it was great stuff. But uh, look, you've all been terrific. Thank you very, very much indeed for, for joining me today. Thanks for all your ideas. Thanks for listening to the, those uh, remarkable comments from school pupils at the beginning. And thanks to the audience for, for, for listening to this podcast. From The Herald, from me, Brian Taylor, to the This podcast was brought to you by The Herald. Take 20% off an annual subscription to The Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Just add HeraldPod2021 to your basket and get instant, unfiltered access to our website. And you can also get involved with the Brian Taylor podcast as well. Tune in on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube every Thursday afternoon to catch Brian and his panel chat live and ask your questions to the people across the political scene. 